Happy Mother's Day, everybody out there. We just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day today. And we want to give a shout out to the village. Uh, you know, we have a saying around here when it comes to discipling young people that it takes a village. And so we want to shout out to the village of moms out there. If you're a mother that's expecting, if you're a mother of newborns, if you're a grandma, if you're an aunt, and if you're an empty nester <clears throat> to all the spiritual mothers and mentors to people, we just say happy Mother's Day. And especially, I think, with where we're at in this cultural moment and everything that was released this week with the Supreme Court, a huge special shout out to all the moms out there who are adoptive moms or are foster moms. Uh, you are doing the work of the Lord. So shout out to the village today. Hope you have a great and awesome Mother's Day. So last week we started a new series uh, about hearing the voice of God. And we established the fact that God is speaking and that God really wants to speak to you. So that is a fact. God wants to speak to you. But here is another fact. The other fact is God is not the only one speaking. There are a lot of people speaking, a lot of people even shouting. We live in a very noisy world, and so there are other voices competing for that voice. There are other voices who want your attention. Now, they say we live in what is known as the attention economy. That means people want your attention. They're doing everything they can to get your attention because if they can get your attention, they can get your money. So people are after your attention. Hundreds of voices, thousands of voices are calling out to you every day. And attention is a scarce resource. You only have so much of it. You don't have an unlimited supply of attention. So it's so important that we know, first of all, that there's a lot of people trying to get our attention and that it's a limited resource. But you need to know that God wants your attention today and he wants to speak to you. And so today we really want to talk about the enemies of hearing God's voice. And often in the scriptures, especially in the gospel, always opposed to hearing Jesus and obeying Jesus uh, is this character in the Bible known as the crowd. The crowd. Crowds are all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the gospels, and oftentimes the crowd is the biggest obstacle in the way of what Jesus wants to do in people's lives. So uh, we want to speak today, or actually my lovely wife is going to come and speak today. She has an awesome word about how to hear God's voice through the crowd. So I'm going to start by just reading the scripture, and then I'm going to hand it off to her because she's, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be here cheering her on saying amen. So I'm in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and this is kind of a long portion of scripture. So hang with me. Listen to how many times the word crowd is used. Mark chapter five, starting in verse 21 it says that when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd had gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at Jesus's feet. And implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live again. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but actually grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. 
For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And when he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, they came in the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And he entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just breathe on this word and God, that you would, um, you would speak to your people and that you would build people's faith today in your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. It's such an honor to be able to speak to you today. And this chapter that Chad just read from Mark chapter 5, um, the Lord has been speaking to me in this chapter for a really long time. Like since the beginning of 2020, this all started with a text message from my friend Christy Colquitt. So I've been sitting here for a really long time just listening and waiting for God to speak to me. Whatever he wants to speak, I'm here to listen. And in this chapter, we see the kingdom of God come and we see Jesus bringing with his authority, he is bringing heaven to earth. And to set the stage for the text that we're gonna look at that we just read, we have to look backwards and we have to look forwards because context is really important because this is just one continuous story, right? So at the end of the previous chapter in Mark chapter four, Jesus says to his friends, hey, let's take a boat ride. <laughs> Don't you love it when your friends say that? We have friends that send us a text message every once in a while and they're like, hey, you wanna go out for a boat, boat ride? <clears throat> and we're like, yes, say no more, I am in. But when Jesus gets on this boat ride, he has a mission in mind. He's going into new territory and he's taking new ground. And even before Jesus arrived into this territory, the forces of darkness raged against his arrival at sea. There's a storm at sea and the disciples freak out. But Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, showing that he literally has authority over everything, even over the forces of nature. And the enemy's camp is obviously not happy that Jesus has arrived on the shorelines with his agenda. And I want you to see the context here because this sets up what we're going to talk about today. This is a message about hearing God. But it's also, it's a message about authority. And in these stories that we're going to look at, the stories that Chad just read, 
you're going to notice um, a number that's repeated over and over. The author is communicating something here. And the woman um, with the issue of blood that was sick, she was sick for 12 years. And then the daughter that is raised to life, she was 12 years old. And if we continue Mark and we just flip to the next chapter, you're going to see that Jesus actually sends out his disciples, his 12 disciples, right? So 12 is a number of divine government, and it represents the rule and reign of our God. And here in, in these stories in, in Mark 5 and 6, God is telling us this is what the kingdom looks like. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not praying some sweet, safe, cute little prayer. We're, we're praying a dangerous prayer because we're asking for a takeover and we're crying out for a great sabotage against dark forces that are hostile to God. And when we pray like this, we're taking ground violently because the kingdom of God, it drives out everything that stands in God's way because Jesus stands in authority over everything. And the coolest thing is, is that Jesus invites us into this epic sabotage to take back what is his, to use the resources of heaven here on earth. As his children, as children of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. And that means that we're seated in heavenly places and we have full rights to the authority of Jesus. So you are seated somewhere today, maybe on your couch, maybe in your, in your car. You are seated somewhere, but you're also seated in heaven. You're seated in two places. And the authority is just, it's the right to use Jesus's power. And we have the rights to his power because we're his kids. Just like kids have keys to the house, we have keys to the kingdom. The question is, will we use them? And so we started this series about hearing God. And I'm so excited because this is something that we all want to grow in. But we're going to talk about hearing God in the wild, you know, in the midst of adversity and through a crowd, because sometimes it's not so easy to hear God. Um, have you ever felt like, like maybe you're being blocked, like you couldn't hear, like something was standing in the way? In this text, uh, we're going to see that crowds always stand in the way of hearing and building our faith. And so we're going to look at these crowds. We're going to see what Jesus does, because Jesus has a way of cutting through noise and cutting through the crowds so that we can hear him. So let's start. We're going to actually start with the story about the demoniac, okay? So we're going to start this story with this violent confrontation. The first point is that Jesus casts out a crowd. Okay, so Jesus safely arrives on the shore after a rather rocky boat ride, and a man possessed by unclean spirits meets Jesus there on the shorelines. And he falls at his knees, and he begs for mercy. And Jesus commands the spirit to leave him, and he asks, what is your name? This is the only time that I recall that Jesus asked this sort of question and actually dialogues with an unclean spirit because usually he just commands them to be quiet. But Jesus is asking, who are you? And he asks us the same today. If, if Jesus asked you that, how would you respond? I might say, hey, I'm Ashton. I'm a pastor's wife. I'm a mom of three. I'm a youth pastor. Send help. <laughs> These are all identities. These are labels that I wear, titles that I wear. But it's not my real identity. It's not the one that stands for all eternity. When someone asks me who I am, I shouldn't share these titles. I should share the truest identity of who I am. I'm Ashton. 
and I belong to Jesus. But this spirit says, legion, for we are many. You know, so creepy. So this man was owned by a crowd. He belonged to not just one, but many unclean spirits, many identities, many agendas, many labels. And this crowd of demons was getting in the way of this man hearing and knowing his real identity. And Jesus crossed a lake and he stopped a storm just to tell this man who he was, a beloved child of God. And this might seem extreme because we're talking about like thousands of demons here, but really our world is not so different. Because the spirit of this world, it wants to give us our identities. It wants to label us. This world has an agenda. It wants to own us. And so when we scroll on our feeds, on our social media feeds, and we're bombarded with identities and labels about who we should be, and living like this, it will make you feel like you're living in a prison. You will feel as alone as this demoniac was that was hanging out by the tombs. You know, the world will scream and torment us with thousands and thousands of voices, but one voice of truth will silence thousands of lies. Some of you might know the story about what happened to my son Silas. He was hurt a few weeks ago. And when, when Silas was in the hospital, there was a song that I played over and over and over just continuously. It was the anthem of my heart, and I still play it. And I laid it beside um, his pillow, and I let Silas listen to it. We were in the hospital. Um, and the song is called I Belong to Jesus by Brooke Leiterwood, who is my favorite worship leader. But the first night that we spent in the PICU at T.C. Thompson, I was faced with so much torment and so much fear because I kept seeing horrific images of my son. And I kept reliving the trauma that I had experienced that day. And so I kept trying to change the channel, right? So I would visualize Silas living and breathing and preaching the gospel. And I would read scriptures and Psalms. And I just kept singing this one phrase repeatedly, I belong to Jesus. This is such a simple truth. It almost sounds like it's preschool. My heart's saying, Silas belongs to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. My mind belongs to Jesus. And what I was declaring over myself wasn't so preschool. What I was declaring over myself and over my son and over that hospital room was that Jesus stands in authority over us and all of our enemies. In those four simple words, I was saying, death doesn't get to call the shots here. I was saying fear has no power here. And I resisted the evil one because I knew who I belong to. Guys, do you know who you belong to? Because this poor man, he was claimed by a whole crowd of tormentors and he didn't know who he was or he who truly belonged to. All he knew was thousands upon thousands of lies and broken identities. And I'm so glad that on the day of my worst nightmare, I knew who I belonged to. I knew who my son belonged to because Silas's name is written in the book of life and on the palm of Jesus' hand. And thank God that I don't belong to myself. Thank God we don't belong to ourselves because that would have gotten me nowhere that day. I was completely helpless. I could do nothing to help my son. And I'm so glad that I don't belong to this world because the world had an evil plan for my son, but that plan was thwarted. But because I belong to Jesus, Jesus was already waiting for me on that day that my son was hurt. 
He goes before me. He stands beside me. He covers me. And heaven dispatched angels on my behalf, all because I belong to Jesus. You know, I don't know how people make it without him. I don't know how you do life without Jesus because this world is so evil and life is so hard, but our Savior is so kind. You know, Jesus is gracious enough to go way out of his way on this boat ride, drive out a massive demonic crowd, and make a huge mess in the neighborhood just to call one man home. And nothing can bind this crowd, no restraints work, but a simple word from Jesus restrained them all. And when Jesus calls us his own, he clothes us in his righteousness and he gives us his mind and he restores us to his family and he wraps us up in his love and he brings us in. And I'm so thankful that my life is hidden in him. So the first point is that Jesus drives out a crowd. Now we're gonna continue with the story and we're gonna read about how Jesus pulls someone out of the crowd. So Jesus's first mission is complete, okay? The gospel is gonna take root in this region through this testimony of a man who now knows who he is. And so now Jesus sets off to go back to the other side. And when he arrives on the shoreline, he's met again by a crowd. On the other side, it was a crowd of demons. But on this side, it's a crowd of people, a crowd of needs, a crowd of demands. And apparently, Jesus is attracted to people that fall on their knees because he notices Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's usually the type of guy that Jesus has run-ins with, the religious type. But Jairus was different. Jesus didn't see pride in him. He saw humility. And of all the people that were gathered there in that crowd before Jesus. Jairus got the attention of heaven. And perhaps it was his posture, his desperation, his relentless begging. Like an intercessor, Jairus stood in the gap for his daughter. It was a father's undying love that had driven him to the shoreline on his knees that day. And Jesus can't deny him. So he takes in Jairus, he pulls him to himself, pulls him out of that crowd, and he walks with him. He says, let's go, let's go to your house. And if you read the gospels, you're gonna find desperation at every encounter with Jesus. Jesus loves to partner with desperate people. He partners with those that come to him with faith. You know, Mark's gospel doesn't say that Jesus picked like the best dressed, the most attractive, the loudest person in the crowd. He wasn't looking for the ones that looked like promising followers or or the people that had it all together. He didn't choose the biggest wallet or the most popular. He wasn't looking for what humans look for. You know, we look on the outside, but he looks on the inside and his eyes are on the desperate and he chooses to follow the desperate. You know, when we choose to follow Jesus, he he determines the course of our lives, right? Like he's leading, we're following. But here, Jesus follows Jairus. Isn't that really interesting that Jesus follows our need, that we can direct his power in our relationship with God? Our requests and our desires can move God just as any child can move their parents. Do you have a kid that can move you, that can make you do things you normally wouldn't do? Absolutely. Most of the time it's because they're driving you crazy and you just let them have their way. 
But this is true about God. How do we know this is true? That we can actually cause him to change course. You just read about Moses. You read about leaders in the Bible that actually changed God's mind. And Jesus' mom, Mary, even made him step out in ministry before he was ready. Why? Because she was close to him. Because they shared a relationship. Because of proximity. And we can direct the attention of God to the matters of our own heart. Why? Because it pleases him to do so. Because we asked and because he can. You know, we all know that story about the friends whose, whose faith broke ceilings and lowered a broken body through a roof to be healed. But do we know about this desperate dad that brought the healer into his home? Jairus goes after the man that heals. He walks with him and he brings him into his home. Moms and dads, spiritually, do you know what your kids need? You know, we are so good at meeting their physical needs, meeting their health needs, meeting their academic needs, their social needs. But so often we neglect their spiritual needs. Like, do you know, is your kid dead or alive spiritually? So Jairus knew who his family needed, but we so often, we neglect those spiritual needs. Parents, there's nothing better that you can do than to bring into your home the presence of Jesus and everything else should come second. Don't just bring your kids to church, although please do that, but you have to bring Jesus into your home. And before our kids can run to him, we have to run to him in their place. Can any moms testify? I know we've got some war room moms in this church. May we be intercessors like Jairus and fall on our knees for our kids and cry out for the presence of God in our homes. Jesus, you have to come to my house. I pray that we pray prayers like that. So Jesus... He casts out a crowd. Number two, he pulls Jairus out of the crowd. And number three, Jesus stops the crowd. We're going to continue the story. So Jesus is walking with Jairus. And we read that this great crowd follows Jesus and Jairus. And they press on them. And they encounter this woman with a bleeding disorder for 12 years. So she would have been unclean. She would have been outcasted and rejected because of her condition. And like the demoniac, she's also a prisoner. So there's this crowd that stands in the way between her and Jesus. But her fate, it stretches out as far as it could until it made contact with the hem of the Savior's robe. And her desperate reaching hands met power from heaven and combusted in an instant moment of healing. And when she touched him, something was dif different because power came from him. Desperation draws power. He felt faith. He was the hunted, but now he becomes the hunter and he stops this crowd. He turns, he looks, he searches for her. This woman, this, this recipient of his power and he won't stop. He places a face with this mysterious touch and affirms her as his daughter. You know, Jesus stops for you today. Because this is personal. His touch is deeply 
personal. It wasn't enough for Jesus to just let her go on free, let her go on healed. He was adamant about meeting her. He had to see her face to face. And, and you have to listen. Listen to me, young people. The power of God does not come from some impersonal, distant force in the universe. This power comes from a person, the only person that has it. And when he heals you and when he delivers you, it's personal. His power is personal. In the Bible, there's a story about 10 people that are healed and only one returns thanks. And guess what? God notices. He notices those that say thank you and those that don't. Why? Because it's personal. He stops everything to call you his own. Moving on to the fourth point, Jesus is going to ignore a crowd. If we continue reading the story, as Jesus is talking to this woman, he's affirming her, he's healing her. This crowd interrupts him with the very worst possible news for Jairus. They say, your daughter is dead. So his worst fear has materialized right there in front of him. And so what Jairus is hearing is that Jesus stopping for this woman has stopped his miracle from coming. Mm -hmm. And and maybe Jairus thinks that her miracle means he won't get his. Has anyone ever thought like that? I have. That's the crowd speaking. It's too late, they say. Why bother the teacher anymore? The crowd always has something to say. The crowd never stops talking. And the enemy will always use our timelines and delays to produce fear. And you know what? Jairus is afraid, and rightfully so. And our enemy will always send a spirit of fear right before a breakthrough. And Jesus knows this. He hears this crowd, he sees this heartbroken father, and he sees the fear in his eyes. Jesus looks at him, and he says the exact opposite of what the crowd says. Do not fear, only believe. Because the truth is that Jesus stopped, but he never changed course. He had been walking to Jairus' house the entire time. He never lost sight of the destination. Jesus never got off a mission. A delay is not a no. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Jairus was in such a hurry, but Jesus was not in a hurry because Jesus keeps a different pace. He's unbothered. You know, just like the boat ride, he's not threatened by what this crowd is claiming because he's in control. He stands in authority over death. So even death won't win this match. So whether he heals her or he raises her from the dead, he will reign supreme in Jairus' home. Let me tell you something. When you know who you are, you can ignore the crowd. You can ignore the lies. Jairus keeps walking alongside Jesus. And I imagine that those were like the longest steps of his life. I mean, it could have just been a few minutes. Who knows how long that walk was, but it probably felt like a lifetime to Jairus. And I feel his agony because when my son was hurt, we got to the ER in three minutes, I'm told. Pastor Terry Papa T drove us there, but it was the longest three minutes of my entire life. It might've, it might've well been like three hours, three days, because time stands still when your flesh and blood is at death's door. I mean, honestly, moms, dads, how would you have walked the rest of the way? I mean, honestly, some of us would have had to have been dragged back to the house. How do you walk when your worst nightmare comes true? 
I believe that when Jairus has heard the words of the Lord, he walked in faith because faith comes by hearing. This is why we must hear him because we do things differently when we've heard the word of the Lord over our lives because truth redirects our emotions and reroutes neural pathways and it changes our stride. And the word of God will give you a supernatural grace and a confidence in the midst of turmoil. You can walk in strength when Jesus is right beside you. You can keep in step with him when you know the outcome. So let us be a people, let us be a church that demonstrates our faith in times of testing. How do we do that? We keep the pace. We don't need to rush. God is in control. So we resist. We resist panic. We resist fear. We resist anxiety and we ignore the crowd and suddenly walking can become so spiritual because with every step we take, we can resist the enemy and we can walk in faith. I know who my God is. He will do what he says he will do. His promises are true. He is faithful. He is loyal. My child will live and not die. My child will declare the works of the Lord. These are the steps that we're taking. We're walking in truth. We're walking in faith. And you just keep one step in front, one foot in front of the other, and you keep moving in the right direction. You don't have to run ahead. You don't have to lag behind. You just keep walking with Jesus until you see a breakthrough. And my fifth and final point is this. Again, full circle, Jesus is going to cast out another crowd. When Jesus finally gets to Jairus' house, there's a crowd in there, and Jesus starts sifting. He starts splitting them up. Only Peter, James, and John are allowed to be with him. And there's weeping in there. People are mourning. They're playing sad songs. There's no faith here. The, the spirit of death has just taken over the home, but it cannot stay. And when Jesus arrives, he's like, why are you crying? Like, she's just asleep. They actually laugh at him because this is what crowds do. They resist the will of God. They mock his words. And if you read about Jesus' hometown, this crowd is very similar, right? The dishonor of these people, it's created this ceiling over this little girl. And he can't operate where there's mockery, where there's dishonor. And so he doesn't just dust off his feet and move on because he's committed. He's made a promise to his friend Jairus. So he kicks the crowd out and he shuts the door and he removes the ridicule and he puts a clear separation between this and that, between what is holy and what is unholy. And he calls this little girl to life. And when Jesus comes into your house, first of all, let him have authority over your house and give him your house, but he will remove everything that stands in his way because he comes with an agenda. Make no mistake about it. Heaven always has an agenda and he will shut the door on the wrong things so that the right things can flourish. And when God shuts the door, no man can open it. And this is grace. So I want to challenge you, don't be afraid of shut doors. You know, we love to talk about open doors, and I'm all about it. I love, you know, I'm so thankful for favor. I love open doors, but I'm more thankful for the doors that he has shut for me than the doors he has opened because he has shut the door on generational curses. He has shut the door on anxiety. He has shut the door on depression. He has shut the door on the liar, the accuser, the tormentor, and he has shut the door 
door on the wrong people in my circle. And I didn't even have to, to kick them out because he did it for me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, God is so gracious when he shuts the door. He shuts the door because he's good. You know, he shut the door for Noah on the ark. Let him shut the door for you because a miracle is in motion just on the other side of that shut door. God is gracious to us. He is good to us when he removes the crowd for us. And I'm going to get ready to hand it over to Pastor Chad. He's going to close this out. But there's just one more thought I want to share with you before I end here. Um, You know, our life is like a journey. We're going somewhere. And not everything gets to make your life's journey because you might carry junk and dysfunction for a little while, but at some point in the journey, Jesus is going to speak to you and he's going to say, hey, put that down. Like he wants to shut the door on something. And when he speaks to you, I beg you, hear him, trust him, Listen to him because you don't know your journey, but he does. He knows what is ahead of you. He knows the terrain. He knows, he knows what lies ahead. There's mountains to climb. There's long stretches ahead. And he knows that you have to lighten the load. You know, not all the people in your life are going to make the journey. And that's okay. Let them go. Is anyone thankful for what God has shut out of your life? Thank you, Jesus, for closed doors. Man, that was awesome. Such a good word today. And I'm just thinking about that point about how Jesus tells uh, the people that she's not going to die. She's just sleeping. And the crowd laughs and they mock Jesus. And honestly, it's not so different from where we're at today in our culture. You know, even this week we had this, we're talking about the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade, and to see the crowds of people protesting and the crowds of people mocking the idea of, you know, abortion being a sin. I mean, the crowds of people are mocking, uh, but I was praying about it this week, and you know what I've come to realize is it doesn't matter what the crowds say. Uh, It doesn't matter if everyone uh, turns away from what is true. The Bible says, let God be true and every other man be a liar. And so I want to tell you today that we don't need the majority opinion and we don't need the most influence in the world. God never called us to be the majority nor the influence. He called us to be salt and light. And a little bit of salt and a little bit of light goes a long way. The scripture says this, Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, your your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is settled in the heavens. Whether the majority of people believe it or not, or whether they laugh, it doesn't matter to him. He's still king today. His word is fixed in the heaven. And if his word is fixed in heaven, may his word be fixed in his church. May his word be fixed in your life. May his word be fixed in your home. Invite the word into your home. Let's be people who cast out crowds, get out of the crowd, and hear the voice of the Lord today. Father, I pray for everyone who's watching. I pray, Lord, that they would hear the word of the Lord today. This is a word. And so, God, I just pray that they would hear that word. God, I pray that those who are living in fear of crowds, those who are distracted by the crowds, those who have 
they're missing out on their miracle because of the multitude of voices that's speaking into their life. God, we just pray that your voice would ring out clear. The word that is firmly fixed in heaven would be firmly fixed in their soul and in their heart and in their family. God, we ask this today in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next week, 9 a.m. or 11 live, or of course, 10 a.m. right here on Virtual Church. Be blessed.